Hey everyone, welcome to episode 27 of The Daily Churn. Today we'll be doing a recap of June and all the things I churned in June, along with some updates on some new developments, particularly in the, the crypto space, if you've been keeping up on that. And originally I had another episode kind of scheduled before this on employer dark deposits. And that one's actually almost done and it should be a pretty good episode, but a couple of things came up in uh, just life, which is that I went to a wedding in New York and both my wife and I ended up getting COVID. And I mean, the reality of it, I think at this point is that we're all going to get COVID at some point if we haven't already, but it still kind of sucks when, when you do get it, because even though everyone at the wedding uh, had to be vaccinated in order to attend, we're still traveling from out of state. New York is a big city. The wedding had a lot of people. And so, yeah, unfortunately, we ended up getting it. And even being vaccinated, we were out of commission for a good two weeks. And honestly, I can't even imagine what that would have been like if we weren't vaccinated. Like even while vaccinated and boosted, it was still probably the worst illness I've gotten in recent memory. So, yeah, that definitely sucked. But, you know, we just kind of spent two weeks binge watching a bunch of shows, which if you haven't seen for all mankind on Apple TV, amazing show. We watched all three seasons of that along with many others. Didn't really do much churning. So kind of just took it easy and happy to say that we're fully recovered. No long term symptoms. So feeling good and glad to be over that hump. But that's sort of why that employer dark deposit episode is a little bit delayed. But we should be seeing that in the next week or two after I post this one. But yeah, getting back to the June recap, June turned out to be a pretty eventful month, particularly because there was a lot of things happening in the crypto space. Celsius and Voyager froze their withdrawals, which is pretty major news. But I'm thinking I'll leave the crypto update this time until the end, because I do want to properly give kind of a, a primer as to what is happening right now. With crypto, and I know people are sort of on two sides of it, which is you either are totally just sick of hearing about crypto or you're invested in crypto or at least curious about crypto. And I think, you know, the reality of it now is that crypto is not going away. So at least being a little bit educated on it is probably a good thing in the long term. That said, I'm going to leave it till the end. So if you don't want to listen to it, feel free to just skip that part. But for now, let's start with some of the usual suspects. We've got banks, a bit of brokerages, some cash back, a lot of mail kits, uh, cell phones, a little update on ANA because I've been getting a lot of ANA booking advice requests lately. So I thought I'd give a quick, uh, a quick update on that one. But yeah, let's start with banks first. So banks wise, I got $150 for myself and $150 for P2 from Affinity Credit Union. And that offer was essentially you had to do 10 transactions, so like Amazon reloads, plus $500 worth of employer direct deposit for three continuous months. And so I did that for both myself and P2. And I think I started working on this bonus back in like February or March. So it finally posted in June. So that was nice, $300 total. And uh, yeah, I used Square to do the employer dark deposits just to be super safe because there wasn't a lot of data points on what else might work. And so Square worked out pretty well for that. And so the next episode on employer dark deposits, I'll be going a lot more in depth into the whole 
Square, and Employer DD space. Then there was also Teachers Federal Credit Union, which turned out to be just a massive fail for everyone who did it. So what happened with this bonus was that it was a $450 bonus for doing some pretty basic requirements, so itself already a pretty decent massive bonus. But they offered credit card funding of up to $5,000. And so anytime you have a bank that offers credit card funding, people are really excited because it's essentially free minimum spend on a credit card that you're working on. And so unsurprisingly, the moment this was posted, everyone jumped in to sign up, myself included. So I signed up my P2. We had a new Wells Fargo card that I charged for $5,000. And during sign up, her account was instantly approved and the CC funding went through. Then on top of that, they were offering a referral bonus. So I immediately had P2 refer me. And I think it was a $50 or $100 referral bonus. And unfortunately, my app went into pending, so I didn't get instantly approved. And so I wasn't able to do the CC funding. But P2s went through totally smoothly. And, you know, in the comments, a lot of people's were instantly approved and were able to fund $5,000. I mean, I'm talking like hundreds of people were able to do this. And that's sort of where things started going downhill because the offer was posted, I think, around Memorial Day weekend. So everyone was applying on a weekend when the Teachers Federal Credit Union wasn't open. So they probably didn't have any staff on hand reviewing any of this and weren't expecting the uh, influx of churners coming in to do credit card funding and to do their new bonus. And so since Monday was a holiday, these apps sort of sat in limbo, but the people who were instant approved were able to get into their accounts and start setting up direct deposits, etc. So everything seemed fine initially. But then Tuesday rolls around after the holiday weekend and everybody loses access to their online portal and they lose access in the worst way possible. It wasn't like you get an email saying like, hey, we messed up. We need to re-review your accounts. What they did was they just made everyone's password incorrect. So even though you could log in the day before, now when you log in, it tells you you've entered the wrong password. So of course, everyone is trying to figure out if someone like got into their accounts and hacked their password. People were doing like, I forgot my password resets. They'll send you a temporary password. And then the temporary password doesn't work either because what they'd actually done on the back end was really just disabled your account without any notification or any communication, even though your accounts were already approved and your credit card had been charged for $5,000 and you'd set up dark deposits from like your employer, for example, to try and meet that $450 bonus. And this sort of just went on for like a week or two where there was zero communication and no one could get into their accounts. And eventually, I think it was maybe two, three weeks in, they just closed off most of the people's accounts that were approved and just refunded their $5,000 again without really any communication. So P2's account was just shut down. The 5K was refunded. And for my account, I was just never approved in the first place. Uh, it was impending the whole time. And, and then I think I got an email saying that we denied your account a couple weeks later. I think the people that were particularly upset were the ones who had dark deposits scheduled to go in and then they couldn't access their accounts. And now they're in sort of a limbo state of like, is my DD going to show up in this closed account or like, how do I get it back out after you've closed it and the money's already been deposited? 
the whole thing was just a complete shit show and so you can sort of understand the uh the kind of comments that were being posted in the thread on doc and i guess you know sort of in their defense a little bit is that they're probably a really small credit union that had maybe one or two people reviewing these apps and they weren't expecting the influx to happen over the memorial day holiday that said they probably shouldn't have launched this massive bonus over the holidays and allowed credit card funding and instant approval of accounts if they were going to then turn around and spend two, three weeks not telling anyone what was happening and then go in and deny and refund everyone. So I think a lot of fails uh, on their part there. But yeah, that was sort of the, the drama in June around Teachers Federal Credit Union, which I think is still sort of ongoing, you know, and uh, people are filing like CFPB complaints and all that kind of stuff. So Anyways, sadly, it did not work out for myself or P2, but that's sort of just how it goes with churning sometimes. You know, you win some and, uh, and you lose some. Then bank bonus wise, I have plans to do quite a few uh, business bank accounts this month in July, partly because of the, the crypto news, which we'll cover at the end of this episode. But I've got like Chase business lined up, I think for $750, the Huntington business checking for another $750. There's city business, which is a tiered bonus, but I think I'm probably going to do the $700 tier where you deposit $25,000 and you get $700 back over 60 days. There's also a US bank business one for $300. So yeah, those are on my list of to-dos and I'll post links to all of these on the dailychurnpodcast.com if you want to try and tackle them as well. But essentially, I have right now just a lot of money sitting around in my Ally account because of the recent crypto news. And so, yeah, July should be pretty busy for for business bank bonuses. But in terms of just actual bank bonuses earned for June, it was just the $300 from Affinity. Moving on to brokerages, not too much happening on the brokerage side. I did check my Nadex account, which if you remember, Nadex is the binary options trading platform from a while back. I think it's been like six, seven months since they launched that bonus, but it is still around. And I saw that I had another $300 in there from three referrals. So thanks guys for doing that. I haven't uh, checked it in a while. So kind of a, a nice surprise. And thanks, Maddie and two other listeners for using that referral. Really appreciate it. And yeah, so going to count that $300 towards uh, brokerages for June. Next up, we have cashback and cashback is probably where I spent a good chunk of my time in June, particularly with Rakuten. So Rakuten was offering $50 for signing up with personal capital. If you're not familiar with personal capital, it's sort of just like uh, an aggregation financial service. So you just input all of your accounts and it will show all of the balances in one place so you can more easily manage like how much money do I have? How much money is coming in, going out? How are my investments doing? Stuff like that. I personally use Simplify to do that. I think it's a better platform. And Simplify though is paid. I think it's like $3 a month, so almost free. But it's the same kind of concept. You may have also seen Mint. Mint is completely free to use as well, where you can just sort of import all of your accounts. But Mint has ads and it's a little janky i i like simplify a lot and i think personal capital does something similar so that could be a good option as well but for us we just signed up for that 50 dollars bonus 
And in order to get it, you have to sign up and then link accounts where your end total balance in personal capital is over a hundred thousand. So if you have a hundred thousand dollars, it can be spread out between like bank accounts, brokerages, retirement accounts. It doesn't really matter, but as long as the total is over a hundred thousand dollars and you link it, you'll get that fifty dollars from Rakuten. And so it's a pretty easy fifty dollars. I think the concern or criticism people have with these kinds of bonuses is that you're essentially being paid to give up a lot of your data to these companies. And so, depending on how you feel about your data privacy, you may not think that's worth fifty dollars. For me, I'm just sort of of the opinion. I think that、uh, <laughs> all of my data is pretty much out there anyway. You know, between all the hacks that happen that you don't want to have happen and All the churns that I do, for better or worse, all of my data is already pretty public and out there. And so, if you want to give me fifty dollars for my bank transaction info, sure, go ahead. And maybe that's not the right choice, but I, I'm just like Chase and Bank of America and Fidelity. They're probably already selling my data to people, so I may as well be the one to sell it and get that fifty dollars. So. Yeah, that's the fifty dollars from from personal capital, and it was through Rakuten. And I'm gonna change things up a little bit with Rakuten, where I'm just gonna count the cash back immediately instead of counting it when Rakuten does their quarterly payouts. Because with Rakuten, it's just so reliable. Like I haven't had an instance where Rakuten shows the fifty dollar credit, and then I don't later get that fifty dollar credit. The only times it hasn't shown up, I've Contacted Rakuten customer support, and they've credited it immediately. So for me, getting money in my Rakuten account balance, even though it's not paid out immediately, is really as good as cash because I have no concerns about getting that eventually. And it makes the tracking a little bit easier, where I can just sort of count it immediately now and tie it to a specific thing instead of counting it three months from now and trying to figure out what exactly the two hundred dollars I got from Rakuten was was made up of. So that's just sort of the the quick FYI on、um, why I'm counting Rakuten immediately. So it was the fifty dollars for myself and fifty dollars for P two for both of us opening personal capital and linking some accounts. And I think that offer is still around right now. So you know, if you think fifty dollars is worth the price of of some、uh, financial data, then yeah, it's a pretty easy bonus to get. Then moving on to some meal kits with Rakuten. So Cold Star on Reddit kind of gave me a tip about how some of the meal kit offers. Are back up again to some of the higher payouts. So that's sort of a thing that happens pretty much every holiday, like Fourth of July, Memorial Day. I think randomly, like May tenth, it happened on Rakuten as well. But basically, if you have something you want to buy on Rakuten, particularly meal kits, I would just sort of set a reminder for the big holiday weekends, and usually they'll double or triple their cash back during that time. So, for example, for the July fourth weekend, Green Chef was bumped up to sixty percent cash back through Rakuten, which then also stacks with fifteen percent cash back when you use your Chase Freedom card. Because the Chase Freedom card had a Chase offer for fifteen percent back, and that was an amazing deal. Because on Green Chef, when you sign up, they're also giving you their own Green Chef offer of fifty percent off. So you're stacking the Green Chef fifty percent off with sixty percent off of that from Rakuten, with fifteen percent off of that from Chase. So what it ends up being was we did four meals for two, and it would have been a hundred and three dollars. But with all of these various discounts, ended up being fourteen dollars total for four meals for two people. 
So really amazing deal. I think the price ends up being like a dollar seventy five per meal, which is a price even like folks on the Lean Fire subreddit would be proud of. And Green Chef is one of our favorite meal kits. It's kind of expensive, but when you get it at a discount, flavor wise and in terms of just enjoyment, it is one of our favorites, and it's pretty high in calories too, which is nice because you know some of these meal kits are like four or five hundred calories. Looking at you, Blue Apron, which just sort of isn't enough for like an adult who isn't trying to diet or lose weight. But yeah, this one seems to roll back around pretty much every holiday weekend. So definitely keep your eye out for that during the next holiday period. We also did Gobble again, which was offering forty-five dollars cash back, so triple what it usually is of fifteen dollars. And with Gobble, you can get four meals for forty-five dollars for your first box, so it ends up being free. If you only did three meals, it ends up being like a eight or nine dollar money maker. But for us, it's nicer just to have the meals. So we did forty-five dollars worth of Gobble with forty-five dollars back on Rakuten, so it ends up being totally free. And with Gobble, one thing to keep in mind is they, by default, when you sign up, will have the Rakuten special offer on Gobble. You can actually replace that promo code with Oxology fifty, which just gives you a straight fifty dollars off of your first gobble, and so that ends up being more lucrative than the default Rakuten promo code, which I think only gives you like thirty six dollars off of your first box. And so keep in mind these promo codes that you enter directly on Gobble stack with the cashback that you're getting through Rakuten. So you're getting both, which is how that meal kit ends up being free. And again, that promo code is Oxology O X O L O G Y fifty five zero. And hat tip to the DOC comment thread for finding that code, and it's been working every time Gobble has done one of their. Increased cashbacks through Rakuten. So similar to Green Chef, just keep an eye out for it during the next holiday period. Then we also did HelloFresh through Rakuten. I mean, we went on a, a bit of a spree. So HelloFresh was forty-two dollars off of your first box, and then HelloFresh themselves were offering fifty percent off of your first box. So what that translates into when you stack both of those was that we ended up paying two dollars total for five meals for two people. Or we could have paid eight dollars total for six meals for two people. We didn't do the six meals version because that would mean we'd have to cook it every day for six days, and you know by the sixth day some of the ingredients are not in the best shape. So if you miss a day and you end up cooking a meal on the seventh or eighth day, good chances are your ingredients are no longer fresh. So we just went with the five meal plan for two, and only ended up paying two dollars, which again, really amazing deal. Then we also signed up for Sunbasket. This time it wasn't through Rakuten. We just gotten a welcome back coupon from Sunbasket, which a lot of these meal kits will send you. So definitely keep an eye out for these welcome back offers because they can be quite good. And so the welcome back offer was that the first box was twenty two dollars for three meals, and many of the Chase cards, like the Chase Freedoms, are doing ten dollars cash back right now when you pay with one of those Chase cards. And so twenty two dollars for the three meals minus the ten dollars from our Chase Freedom card ended up being twelve dollars for three meals from Sunbasket. So again, that turned out to be quite a good deal. Sunbasket has been pretty aggressively raising their prices. It used to be one of our favorites, but they've just raised their prices so much that most of the time we wouldn't get it unless one of these deals came through. 
So yeah, between Green Chef, Gobble, HelloFresh, and Sunbasket, we are fully stocked for dinners for the month of July. So that's always nice to have the whole month's meal plan already set without having to think too much about it and not having to do much grocery shopping, particularly with you know inflation and, and grocery store prices uh, going up. These meal kits, I don't know where they're getting all this VC funding, but it hasn't dried up yet. And uh, it's one way to at least beat inflation, I guess, on, on food. And still on the topic of meal kits, some of my cash back from doing meal kit offers through the Capital One shopping portal that you see with like your Venture X card, for example, those actually cashed in as statement credits. So I got my $37.50 from Blue Apron plus $35 from Green Chef. And I think it took about a month or two for those to show up, but they did finally post in June. Finally, with meal kits, uh, we had a pretty, pretty massive fail with meal kits. Uh, so what happened was there was a meal kit that actually someone on Reddit tipped me off to, which was Factor 75 on Rakuten back in May was offering 70% off. And with Factor 75, the first box was $100 for 18 separate little meals. And so the, the meal kits themselves are sort of like uh, healthy airplane food. So they come in these little trays that are all pre-cooked and you just have to microwave them for two minutes and then you're ready to eat them. And they're definitely better taste-wise and health-wise than airplane food. And you get 18 of these for 100 bucks, but then Rakuten gives you 70% off. So only 30 bucks will get you 18 of these. So each of these little trays ends up being like $1.66, which is a pretty good deal for pretty decent food that you don't have to put any effort into cooking-wise. So we'd done that both for myself and P2, and that worked out well. You know, we got like 36 of these little trays that we were slowly eating, like it took up our entire fridge and our freezer. But of course, I made the classic newbie mistake, which is that I did not cancel in time before they shipped the second shipment. And the reason I didn't cancel in time was that they only show two weeks at a time. It's the week you're getting now and the week after. And like back in May, I had scheduled the meals to come in June. And so I couldn't skip the week after because it was too far in the future. And I had a reminder to after getting the first delivery to go in and skip the weeks after but we came back from the wedding in June and we both got COVID. And so I was just not really paying attention to like my spreadsheet and my reminders and like the churning things that I had to do. And so it completely slipped my mind to skip that second week. And for any other meal kit, it might not have been a big deal. It would have been, oh, okay, we're out 50 bucks, but we're gonna get three meals. So it's like not the worst thing ever. With Factor 75, only the first shipment of 18 meals was $100. The second shipment of 18 meals was $175. So I was pretty confused when a box of Factor 75 showed up at our door. And it's a pretty massive box because they've packed in 18 of these meals. And I thought, oh, maybe they, they'd made a mistake. And then I tracked it down to my credit card and we were charged $175 which ends up being like almost $10 for one of these meals, which is not worth it at all. So yeah, I was, was pretty devastated when uh, I realized what had happened there. But on the flip side, it came while we had COVID and it actually turned out sort of okay in that sense because we were like too tired and not in the mood to cook. And so having these microwavable pre-made meals ready 
was actually a bit of a lifesaver. So in a sense, it did actually work out okay. But just like my inner churner is dying at the fact that, you know, I mistakenly paid $175 for a meal kit because that sort of negates a lot of these discounts on other meal kits that we're trying to get. So yeah, that was the uh, the big lesson learned, which is that when you have a spreadsheet with just tons of items that you need to do, it's all good and fine when you're healthy and you can keep track of it, which is how I usually am. But you know, when something unexpected in your life happens and you stop keeping track, that's when things can really, really go to shit. So yeah, lesson learned there, which is always check that churning spreadsheet through thick and thin. So doing a, a quick tally on all the meal kit cashbacks, there was the $31 from Green Chef through Rakuten plus $8 from Chase, then $45 from Rakuten on Gobble, $42 from HelloFresh on Rakuten, then $10 on Sunbasket from a Chase offer, $37.50 on Blue Apron from the Capital One portal, $35 on Green Chef, again from the Capital One portal, for a total of $208.50 in cash back. And I've been debating whether or not to count this in the final tally. And I think going forward, I am going to count these because this is purely just the extra cash back that I'm getting from like Rakuten and Chase and Capital One. This isn't like the discounts that the meal kit companies are offering themselves because I'm getting those discounts as well. And those discounts are pretty good. Like I would probably get the meal kit just for the discount that the meal kit company is offering. So the additional cashback from these portals is kind of like a, a cherry on top, which I'll count towards the monthly churning earnings. Finally, on the topic of cashback, there's a new extension that I've been trying, and you've probably heard about this one before, or have seen it in ads, which is Honey. And I've never gotten around or I guess had a reason to install Honey, but I was uh, shopping for a KitchenAid mixer for my wife because she's trying to get into more baking, which I'm all for because uh, I love cookies and stuff. And so I ran across a deal on Slick Deals where the mixer, which usually goes for $400, refurbed was only $220. And then if you sign up for the KitchenAid newsletter, they'll give you another 10% coupon. So it ends up being basically $200. But on top of that, someone on the Slick Deals threads left a comment saying that the Honey extension was offering an extra $45 specifically on that mixer. So I was like, okay, cool. I'll check it out. So I downloaded the Honey extension. And yeah, it's similar to how the Rakuten extension or the Be Frugal one pops up. Honey has that similar thing, but it seems like they sometimes target specific items. So in this case, it was targeting specifically a refurbed KitchenAid mixer and was giving $45 if you purchased it and activated Honey. And so, of course, I did that. And yeah, I knocked off the $45 and the mixer ended up being $160 versus $400 brand new. And even though it was a refurbed unit, when we got it, it looked completely brand new. Like there was nothing wrong with it, no scratches, no dents. So yeah, amazing deal on a mixer. I mean, I'll post the link to it because I think it's still alive if you're in the market for uh, for a KitchenAid mixer. But yeah, that was sort of my first exposure to actually using Honey. And so now it's one of my extensions that I have. I've got like five or six of these like cashback extensions now in Chrome, which is actually starting to get annoying because when I visit a site, 
sometimes all five of them will trigger and I've got like five pop-ups which slows down the website but you know for now it's it's kind of manageable and Honey I guess is owned by PayPal so I'm not really too concerned about not getting the money like I would be with uh with Swagbucks sometimes so I'm going to count that $45 towards the churning earnings for the month because we would have gotten that mixer at $200 so getting that extra 45 was just a a nice bonus on top all right, so moving on from cash back, we've got cell phones. With cell phones, not much. I just got a uh, visible referral from Gary, so appreciate that, Gary. And I kind of value these referrals at about $15. So yeah, $15 on the cell phone front. Then some miscellaneous things. I had some tickets to a show that I stubhubbed and ended up making $60 on. The reason I did it was because we got COVID and, and couldn't go. And it was a sold out show, so ended up being a pretty easy $60 for two tickets. But I know people who make pretty good money doing StubHub reselling. There's just a little bit of risk involved if the show doesn't sell out and you're stuck with like eight tickets that will sell below face value. And StubHub takes like a 15, I think, percent cut. So it can be hit or miss. But yeah, I got 60 bucks from StubHub in June. Then on the topic of like miscellaneous things, this wasn't really money I made churning, but I did kind of want to just mention it here, which is that uh, I think booking tickets to Japan on ANA right now is extremely difficult. And I bring it up because I've gotten 10 or 12 messages over the last few weeks from people reaching out who have listened to the ANA episode who want help with their booking or just want some advice on if they're doing it right. And one of the common questions I'm getting is around award availability. Like they're checking these awards a year out on VPN and sometimes they're not seeing any availability and sometimes they're seeing one seat only instead of two. And so they're like, you know, what's going on? Am I doing it right? Is someone just beating me to the punch? And honestly, the answer is actually, yeah, you're, you're getting beaten to these tickets, even though you're checking it right when it opens. Someone is maybe a second faster than you. It's really like buying Coachella tickets. There is way more demand right now than there are available tickets. Most people are expecting Japan to open up in 2023. And so everyone is trying to book these tickets. Like I posted that ANA episode, I think two, three months ago, but it's only been in the last couple of weeks that everyone's been reaching out about booking ANA. And so I think everyone is trying to go to Japan right now. And honestly, of the dozen or so people that I responded to, most of them were actually able to secure their business and first class tickets. And the only advice I really gave was just to keep trying, like be persistent, try it for multiple days, be faster if you can by maybe doing it over the phone. And for the most part, that has worked. So there isn't really anything magic that I'm doing other than just keeping at it. But, you know, right now is just a tough time to be trying to book these tickets because of that demand. And probably the honestly, the podcast is not helping in the sense that more people now are doing this VPN method. And so, yeah, if you have the patience and the persistence, you can still get the tickets. But if you don't literally need to go to Japan in like June of 2023, I would probably recommend waiting a little bit when this demand sort of dies down a bit more. So yeah, not directly related to any trading money I made in June, but I thought I'd just mention it here because I, I am getting a lot of messages about 
ANA, and uh, hopefully this answers some of those questions. And I apologize for doing an episode on ANA and potentially contributing to some of this difficulty. Okay, finally, we have the crypto update, specifically with Celsius and Voyager. But the thing with crypto is everything is very interconnected. And so I've been debating how much detail to go into. Like, I don't want to turn this into a full crypto explanation episode because that would take a long time. And there are probably YouTube videos and other podcasts that can sort of explain a lot of this stuff better. But I think it is valuable to have kind of a, a basic understanding of how the ecosystem is sort of working and what has led to this sort of chain reaction of busts and bankruptcies and accounts being frozen and stuff like that. So I figured I'd start with a bit of a primer and I'll try and keep it as, as short as possible because I think that primer will set the foundation for understanding a lot of what's happening right now with crypto and hopefully help inform some of your future decisions on where to park or move money. Again, if you have zero interest in crypto, definitely feel free to just skip this and go straight to the final tally where I tally up all the earnings for June. But if you are even mildly interested, here we go. So I'm sure everyone at this point is pretty familiar with Bitcoin and Bitcoin is both a token and also the blockchain that the token kind of runs on and the blockchain is sort of like the accounting ledger that keeps track of everything and so the bitcoin blockchain generates bitcoin tokens that you trade and sell and use to buy things now similarly there is the ethereum blockchain which creates the ether token so same kind of concept the way you get more tokens is you mine them and mining as you've probably heard in the news is very inefficient it essentially uses up computer resources and a ton of electricity to compute a bunch of math equations for no reason other than to create more of the token so it is a, a complete waste in the sense that it does nothing other than make more of that token being mined and so the creators of Ethereum have proposed Ethereum 2.0 because unlike Bitcoin, where no one really knows who created it, Ethereum was very much intentional and they actually have developers and it's on GitHub and you can kind of review the changes in Ethereum 2.0. And one of the changes in Ethereum 2.0 is that instead of mining using up electricity and that's the way that you generate new Ether tokens, so instead of it being a mining activity, it becomes a staking activity. And what that means is to get more Ether, you stake or put up Ether. So similar to how a bank works, you put money in and you earn interest. The way Ethereum 2.0 will work is that you put in Ether and the Ether earns rewards, aka interest. And that's how new Ether is generated. And that's vastly more efficient because people aren't buying graphics cards and using tons of electricity just to make Ether. The way you make Ether now is that you stake existing Ether. So that all sounds pretty good on paper, right? Like less electricity and better for the environment. So moving to this, what they call a proof of stake model is beneficial. But the issue is that Ethereum 2.0 currently exists alongside original ethereum and both are in operation because they're testing ethereum 2.0 making sure all the bugs are ironed out and at some point in the future 
there's going to be an event called the merge, where they will merge Ethereum 2.0 with original Ethereum, and it will just become one Ethereum chain instead of two separate chains. So an analogy might be that you're currently, let's say, doing all of your accounting in a paper ledger book, and you're wanting to transition to a nice accounting software on your computer, which is better. But while you're weighing that transition, you're testing out the new software, making sure it works well, all that stuff. And you're running both accounting books in parallel with the goal that someday in the future, you're going to merge both of those together. And if that sounds like a bit of a, a shit show, it, it really is because the merge date that they proposed for Ethereum has been pushed back for years now. So everyone kind of agrees it's going to happen. But the date that it's going to happen has been continuously pushed back. So why do we care? Why does that matter? How is this even relevant to Celsius and Voyager? So the thing with Ethereum 2.0 is, as we said, it's a staking mechanism where you put up Ether. So because Ethereum 2.0 already exists, people right now can put up Ether into Ethereum 2.0 in order to start using this staking mechanism. So in order to be on Ethereum 2.0 and staking and earning interest on Ethereum 2.0, you currently need to put up 32 Ether, which right now it's trading at around $1,000 per Ether. So you need to put in $32,000 worth of Ether in order to participate in this new Ethereum 2.0 staking mechanism. So it's a lot of money, but on top of that, when you stake your 32 Ether on Ethereum 2.0, that Ether is locked. You can't touch it. You can't get it out. It's stuck in Ethereum 2.0 and it's earning the interest by staking. So that's good. But you don't have access to it until Ethereum 2.0 merges with Ethereum. So until the merge happens, your staked Ether is inaccessible. So as you can imagine, that presents liquidity issues because you can't touch that Ether anymore, but also just barriers of entry issues because you need 32 Ether, $32,000, which if you don't have that, you can't participate in this Ethereum 2.0 staking thing. So of course, a company has come around to solve both of those issues. And that company is Lido Financial, who offers a thing called Staked Ether. And so Staked Ether aims to solve both of these problems of liquidity and barrier of entry. Because with Lido, what you can do is you can give them Ether, let's say one Ether, and in exchange, they'll give you one Staked Ether. And a Staked Ether is sort of like an IOU for an Ether that they have on the Ethereum 2.0 blockchain. Because what they can do is they can pool everyone's Ether together and stake it on 2.0. So if you only have one Ether, when it's pooled with everyone else's Ether, it meets that 32 Ether requirement. And in exchange, Lido will give you one staked Ether. And one staked Ether is nice to have because it is liquid. So you can use that one staked Ether now. You don't have to wait until the merge happens. You can sell it, you can trade it, you can split it up. And you can even convert one staked Ether back into Ether so it's not locked up and you can cash it out in theory at any time. And the value of staked Ether is pegged to the value of Ether. So one staked Ether equals one Ether because staked Ether really is just an IOU on Ether on the 2.0 blockchain. 
And because everyone agrees that the merge will happen, your one staked Ether IOU is really worth one Ether in the future. So that's why they are pegged one to one. Hopefully that all made sense so far and you're still following along because that's it for the, I guess, the technical part of it, because this sort of sets the foundation for what's currently happening in crypto. So if you recall from the last recap, I kind of went through a little bit about Luna and Terra and the stable coin that got depegged and became worthless, etc. And so that happened back in May. And that was sort of the start of a chain reaction of events. Because when Luna and Terra collapsed, that sort of triggered a lot of people to want to cash out of their crypto. You know, that coupled with it just being a bear market anyway, where stocks are down, people want safer assets with less risk. And so a lot of these exchanges are experiencing like an outpouring of cash as people convert their crypto into actual fiat money. And so Celsius was one of those exchanges where they did have exposure to Luna and Terra, and I think they lost some money that way. But that event itself spurred a lot of people to want to take their money out of Celsius. The problem though was that Celsius had taken people's Ether deposits and converted those deposits into staked Ether because the benefit of having staked Ether is that staked Ether actually earns money. So whereas Ether would sit around and earn 0% interest, staked Ether might earn 5% interest. And you know, that's sort of how Lido, Lido Financial makes their money is that they take your Ether and then they stake it on Ethereum 2.0, which is how you'll make Ether in the future on 2.0. And they give you a staked Ether token in exchange. And so the money that Lido makes by staking Ether on 2.0, let's say it's 5%, they give you a staked Ether that earns 4%. And so they make that 1%, which is how they make money. So what a lot of exchanges did with the ether that customers deposited. So for example, Celsius, which is like a crypto brokerage exchange that offers loans, the whole shebang really, um, they had like 400, 500 million dollars worth of ether that customers had deposited with them. And they want that money to make money for them, right? That's how Celsius makes a profit. So they converted that ether into staked ether, which makes interest. Okay, so why is this a problem? So when Luna and Terra collapsed, everyone was cashing in their tokens for real currency. They were selling their Bitcoin. They were also selling their Ether. And that became a problem for Celsius because they no longer had your Ether. They had staked Ether. And so they now had to sell the staked Ether to convert back into Ether, which again, because they are pegged in theory one to one, that shouldn't be a problem. But it became a problem because every exchange was trying to sell their staked Ether. And, you know, basic supply and demand, which is when everyone is trying to sell staked Ether and no one wants to buy staked Ether, you lose the peg because no one wants to pay one Ether for your staked Ether anymore. I think at its low, it was selling at like a 7 to 8% discount compared to regular Ether. And so when you extrapolate that discount to like $500 million, that's already a like $35 million loss. But what was actually worse was that just in terms of sheer liquidity, there was no one wanting to buy staked Ether. So not only was it selling at a discount, 
but no one wanted to even buy it at a discount. And if you try to sell more, the only way you'd be able to sell more was if staked Ether was discounted even further, which would then create even more losses for you. So the act of you selling so much of it was causing more and more losses. And so eventually on, I think, June 12th or so, Celsius just halted all transactions. So no withdrawals in and out of their system, no deposits, no selling coins, just a complete freeze on all trading operations because they simply didn't have enough cash on hand to meet the requests of all the people trying to cash out of their tokens. And it really is anyone's guess as to what happens to everyone who still had money with Celsius. Because the thing with holding crypto at Celsius or any exchange really is that you don't actually fully own that crypto. The standard phrase you might see on the internet is not your keys, not your coin. And what that means is when you buy crypto from, let's say, Celsius, they're the ones who generate and hold your private keys. So you don't actually have direct access and control over that Bitcoin. So when Celsius freezes and holds operations, you literally can't get that Bitcoin out because Celsius owns all the keys to it and has full control over your coins. And if Celsius goes bankrupt, what happens to your coins? That's debatable. And I think right now, probably not even Celsius knows, which is why they've hired a ton of like bankruptcy and restructuring lawyers to figure out how to pay out customers. So the chances that you get back zero dollars is small but you may be taking a trim off of how much you're getting back if they have to pay other investors back first who are higher priority than you. And unfortunately, when an exchange freezes assets like that to prevent a full collapse, it is sort of potentially a self-fulfilling prophecy because they've frozen all their assets in order to try and you know acquire more funding or get bought out. But the second that they unfreeze everyone's assets, the first thing everyone's going to do is withdraw more assets, which may be what then tips them over into bankruptcy. And so that's sort of the thing they're trying to figure out is how do we potentially prevent that from happening? Similarly, a couple of weeks later, Voyager also froze all of their withdrawals and deposits and trading. And the cause was a little different. But again, this is all very much interlinked because with Voyager, what happened was they had made a loan to Three Arrow Capital, which is a cryptocurrency hedge fund. And I think the loan was for hundreds of millions of dollars, like four, five, six hundred million dollars. And Three Arrow Capital defaulted on that loan at the end of June. And because they defaulted on that loan, Voyager was unable to meet all of the withdrawals that was happening on the Voyager platform as well, which was triggered by the whole Luna Terra collapse and the bear market. Everyone was just withdrawing money from all the platforms. And so in isolation, if Three Arrows Capital had defaulted on the loan and people weren't trying to withdraw all their crypto, Voyager might have been okay. Or if people were trying to withdraw their crypto and Three Arrows Capital didn't default on their loan, Voyager might have been okay as well. But the combination of both of those happening at once meant they couldn't meet their withdrawal obligations anymore. And so they also froze all trading on their platform. And Three Arrows Capital itself has filed for bankruptcy as well. And Three Arrows Capital found themselves in that position because they were heavily exposed to Luna and Terra. 
as well as Ethereum, which has lost a lot of value. And they also had large positions in staked Ether. So all of that combined meant Three Arrows Capital was not able to fulfill their obligations to companies like Voyager, which then caused the chain reaction of Voyager halting their trading. So you can kind of see how it's sort of a, a domino effect, albeit a, a slow domino effect of these companies falling and causing other companies to fall. And I say slow because before the Celsius collapse, people were already warning on Reddit that Celsius was illiquid and would potentially go bankrupt. And this was a couple weeks before Celsius froze their accounts. Similarly with Voyager, about a week or two before they actually froze their accounts, they started reducing the withdrawal cap from 25,000 down to 10,000. And there were already articles about Three Arrow Capital potentially having to default on this loan to Voyager and what that could mean. So a lot of these collapses like with Celsius and Voyager were very much like telegraphed ahead of time. But, you know, if you're not following crypto news every day and keeping up with this stuff, you probably would have missed it until you got the notice from Voyager being like, hey, we've frozen withdrawals. And so if you have funds stuck at Voyager, one of the things that Voyager very heavily advertised that cash deposits with them are FDIC insured. So if you had just straight Bitcoin with them, that isn't insured. But if you had cashed out that Bitcoin into US dollars and kept it at Voyager, in theory, that's FDIC insured, at least per Voyager's marketing. But now there's like a pretty heavy debate on Reddit as to what that FDIC insurance actually means, because some people say that if Voyager goes bankrupt, you'd be able to get that cash back through FDIC insurance. But the other argument is that that FDIC insurance only applies to Voyager sponsoring bank. So there's a bank behind Voyager, like I think it's Metropolitan Bank. And there is debate of whether Metropolitan Bank itself would have to go bankrupt in order for FDIC insurance to apply. So Voyager going bankrupt is not enough. You need the Metropolitan Bank to go bankrupt which is not going to happen because they're not really that heavily exposed. So there's like debate and arguments as to whether or not you'd even get your money back that way through Voyager. But at this point, it's kind of just a unknown. Like no one knows, not even sure if Voyager themselves know. And so it's sort of a, a sit and wait. And it's quite possible that things will just resolve themselves. Like they'll be able to restructure and everyone will get their money back. But more likely probably is that people's funds, their assets at Voyager will take a trim potentially, or Voyager maybe is able to secure a loan and potentially be bought out by a bigger company. And that is actually sort of what has been happening. So FTX, which I guess is the biggest, most stable of these crypto companies, has offered BlockFi, which is another like Celsius Voyager type company has given them a loan of a few hundred million dollars with an added option to just buy BlockFi later for $240 million. And BlockFi agreed to that and sought that out because they were facing the same issues as Celsius and Voyager. And instead of freezing all of their customer accounts, they got that loan from FTX and has given FTX an option to just buy them out later. Similarly, FTX also has like a 12% stake in Voyager. So there's speculation that FTX would buy Voyager. On top of that, it's been in the news as well that FTX is potentially going to buy Robinhood, which is the, the trading, the app trading platform for regular stocks. 
And it seems at least that out of this chaos, potentially FTX will swallow up a lot of these companies and come out the other side stronger. And I think part of the reason why FTX is in a more stable position than companies like Voyager and Celsius and stuff is that FTX fundamentally makes most of their money in a different way. They make their money through trading fees. So there's a pretty fascinating article, uh, I think, done by Bloomberg on how FTX and their founder, Sam, came about. But essentially, FTX made most of their money arbitraging disparities in like Bitcoin price. So he saw that like Bitcoin in Korea was selling for less than Bitcoin in America. So he would buy up Bitcoin in Korea and then sell it in America. And so when you make money that way, the price of Bitcoin doesn't actually matter you're making money based on the difference in price. And these days, I think most of their money is just made from trading fees, like the fact that crypto is being traded on their platform. Whereas Voyager and Celsius, they were trying to make the bulk of their money by loaning their money out and making interest on it. Whereas FTX does that as well, but the bulk of their profits are from just people actually trading. And even when things are going bad, People are still trading because people are trying to sell their assets versus buy their assets. And so I think that's why FTX has probably one of the biggest war chests for surviving the, the crypto winter and why they weren't as heavily exposed to the fluctuations of coin prices as Celsius and Voyager are. All right. So that's sort of the background on Celsius and Voyager and what happened to them in June. And if you've made it this far, you're in like the top 1% of 1% of people who understand what is even happening right now in the crypto space. And so that can sort of help inform some of your decisions going forward as to whether or not you want to park any money in these exchanges. Because for me, I had money parked at Voyager, Gemini and FTX because they were offering good interest rates. Voyager is now sort of out of the equation. And I got lucky in the sense that when the Celsius collapse happened, I've moved my money out of Voyager, Gemini and FTX because the risk profile kind of just didn't make sense for me anymore where it was like, well, I would rather just lose a few weeks worth of interest by moving the money out and just let the whole crypto thing play out and see if it calms down before I move money back in because it is so easy to just move money in and out of these exchanges. And obviously hindsight's 2020, but I'm, I'm very glad that I moved my money out of Voyager, given what happened to Voyager a couple weeks after that. And I've been sort of debating on whether or not to move money back into Gemini and FTX. At least for now, FTX seems to be potentially the winner out of all of this, and they seem quite stable. Gemini seems fine too. I mean, they, I think, laid off like 10% of their employees, but so did Coinbase and so did many other companies that aren't in crypto because of the bear market and the potential recession. So that itself isn't a red flag. But at the same time, you know, I don't have any insight into where Gemini's money is, who they've loaned it out to, and how much risk there is of the people they've loaned it out to defaulting on their loan to Gemini, which then might trigger something else. And so because that's all sort of a, a black box, I'm just more comfortable keeping my money out of these exchanges for now until this sort of domino chain reaction kind of finishes and calms down. Because I was talking with one of my friends who works in finance, and he was like, you know, we have a term for this in finance, which is picking up nickels in front of a steamroller. 
And I thought that was pretty apt for the current situation, which is that, you know, earning eight, nine percent interest in front of a, a potential steamroller of crypto collapsing is sort of just not worth it. You know, it's very risky, particularly because we're churning that money can be put to use elsewhere. So for me, what I'm doing in the interim with that money and sort of my plans for July is that all the money that's been cashed out, I'm going to go tackle some business bank account bonuses because those usually have pretty high requirements. I think that Chase $750 bonus wants a $20,000 deposit. The Huntington one wants $20,000. The City one wants $25,000. So, you know, that's money that I can move from withdrawing from these crypto exchanges. And it works out pretty well from a returns perspective because like that Chase one, you're getting $750 for depositing $20,000. And you get that bonus in 60 days, which if you annualize that ends up being a 22% interest. I think the Huntington pays out in 90 days and ends up being a 10% annual interest. The city tiered one, if you do the $25,000 tier, you get $700 in 60 days, which ends up being a 16.8% interest. So these all far exceed what these exchanges were offering. And it sort of buys you two, three months to just see how things play out and whether or not you want to dive back into parking cash in crypto. So yeah, that's my sort of uh, short-term two, three-month plan for where I plan to park cash while this crypto thing shakes out. I'll definitely keep doing updates to this during the recaps um, if new events happen, which I'm sure they will, you know, with just the general volatility of the markets, not just crypto, but also in stocks. So yeah, we'll see. But hopefully at least that crypto bit was informative. And now you can bore all of your friends with uh, crypto conversation. All right. So circling back to the final tally for June, we've got the $300 from banks with Affinity, $300 from brokerages through Nadex referrals, $100 from personal capital through the Rakuten cashback, $208.50 of meal kit cashback through Rakuten, Chase Offers, and Capital One, then $45 cashback from Honey for the KitchenAid mixer, $15 from a visible referral and 60 bucks from StubHub from selling a couple concert tickets for a total of $1,028.50 in June. That was a pretty close one. I barely scraped past that $1,000 goal I have each month. And, you know, part of it was just getting sick and, and not being able to do much churning. But luckily, some of the earlier things had paid off and were set on meal kits for July. So that's always nice. And uh, yeah, otherwise, I'm just finishing up the uh, Employer Dark Deposit episode, so I should have that posted soon. And if you want a notification right when it gets posted, just go on to the dailychurnpodcast.com and sign up for the newsletter, and you'll get an email in your inbox with the summary of the episode as soon as it's available. All right, folks, thanks for listening. Stay safe out there, and I'll see you next time.